Welcome to UK Rail Journeys, Series 1. In this series, I travel to North West Wales with the Steam Dreams Rail Company on their Welsh Dragon Tour. Episode 17, where Bahamas and Mayflower power us out of crew and then through Shrewsbury. Crew station opened in 1837 and is apparently one of the most historically significant railway stations in the world. It's 158 miles north of Euston and 243 miles south of Glasgow Central and a major junction on the West Coast Main Line. Lines run from Crewe to Manchester Piccadilly. Others, such as the one we've travelled on through North Wales, diverge from the West Coast Main Line here. There are also lines to Stoke-on-Trent and Shrewsbury. Our stop was around 30 minutes to allow our diesel locomotive to be uncoupled from the front of the train and the Jubilee-class locomotive Bahamas and B1-class Mayflower to be attached for our double-headed journey south. Crew Station has 12 platforms, a bookshop, bars, buffets and waiting rooms. In addition to the footbridge, there are lifts and there's a ticket office. The station initially opened on the 4th of July 1837. The location chosen after Winsford, seven miles to the north, and Nantwich, four miles away, had both rejected proposals to build a major railway station in their towns. The station was the first to have a railway hotel, the Crew Arms Hotel, built in 1838 and still in use. When the station opened, its purpose was to link the four largest cities in England by joining the existing Liverpool and Manchester Railway to the projected London and Birmingham Railway. Once the station was open, other railways soon followed. In 1842, the Grand Junction Railway moved its locomotive works from Edge Hill in Liverpool to Crewe. The new works were sited to the north of the junction between the Warrington and Chester lines. A town was built by the company to house its workforce and the company's management. In 1846, the Grand Junction Railway merged with the London and Birmingham to form the London and North Western Railway. And that railway continued until the 1923 grouping. For many years, it was the largest company in the world. In 1867, the congested station was rebuilt and at the same time, the works were redeveloped and enlarged. A steelworks was built. It was the first in the world to make large-scale use of the Bessemer process, as only the London and North Western Railway required enough steel to keep the Bessemer plant working continuously. In the 1890s, a survey showed that of the thousand trains that passed through the station in a 24-hour period, half were freight. The freight trains didn't call at the station, so a separate four-track line was built passing west of the station. In 1923, the London and North Western Railway became part of the London, Midland and Scottish Railway. Crewe remained the major centre for locomotive construction. And because of the importance of the station, the junctions and the works, the North and South Junction signal boxes were rebuilt in 1938-9 to 
as massive concrete structures to withstand air raids. For the first 50 years, train operation changed very little. However, trains became longer, heavier, and were hauled by larger engines. As these were steam engines, the demand for water increased. Some trains divided at Crewe, with the front portion going to Manchester and the rear to Liverpool. The station pilot engine always had a pair of restaurant cars in a bay, ready to attach to a morning service for London. There were also extra coaches available for overcrowded trains. And in addition to passengers, there were vast quantities of mail, parcels, live animals and birds. In August 2016, the 1867 station buildings were Grade 2 listed. The future? It is proposed that Crewe will be a stop on the western branch of the planned HS2 rail route. In the 2019-20 year, passenger numbers increased to 3,401,000 and 1,408,000 passengers changed trains here. Our departure from Crewe takes us over the junction and onto the Welsh Marshes line for the next stage of the journey to Shrewsbury. We pass through the sites of closed stations at Gresty, then Williston, closed in 1954 after 96 years of operation, and the Newcastle crossing. We pass through the Nantwick station, four and a half miles southwest of Crewe. It opened in 1858 and was a junction for the Great Western Railway route to Wellington via Market Drayton until September 1963. The line was also used as a diversionary route during the electrification of the West Coast Main Line. It closed completely in 1967 and the track had been lifted by 1970. At Nantwich there are three automated level crossings remotely monitored from the South Wales Rail Operating Centre in Cardiff. The station is used by twice hourly services between Crowe and Shrewsbury. Longer distance services run between Manchester Piccadilly and Cardiff Central, some carrying on to Swansea and Carmarthen. There are also two trains to Swansea via the Heart of Wales line on weekdays. In 2019-20, the station was used by 224,248 passengers. two locomotives are pulling our long and heavy train at 65 miles an hour at the current time. We're just passing through a place called Stall Meadow, a small housing development of 1970s houses. There's some more modern ones on the other side of the road and then through the station. I'm looking out on fields where the harvest is in. There's a big haystack there and then from fields to some industrial units, a car retailer and a petrol station. 
back to some farmland, some horses in a field. After travelling another four and a half miles, we reach the unstaffed request stop at Renbury. The barrier level crossing to the south end of the station was controlled from an ex London and North Western Railway signal box with semaphore signals prior to re-signalling of the line in 2013. The crossing then came under the supervision of the South Wales Rail Operating Centre. Passenger numbers dropped by 300 in 2019-20 to 12,594. Before we arrive at Whitchurch Station, we pass the site of the old junction to the southern end of the closed Whitchurch and Tattenhall line. Our train passed the junction at the northern end of the line some hours ago. We are now 18 and three quarter miles north of Shrewsbury. The station here opened on the 2nd of September 1858 on the London and North Western back Crewe and Shrewsbury Railway. It was once the junction for the Cambrian Railways, Oswestry, Ellesmere and Whitchurch Railway Line, which ran to Oswestry and Welshpool, the former Cambrian main line to Aberystwyth, and also the Whitchurch and Tattenhall Railway. The former closed as a result of the Beaching Acts in January 1965, and the latter closed to passengers in September 1957 and completely in January 1963 we see the site of the former junctions as we pass. The last major work carried out on Whitchurch Station was the replacement of the original railway bridge damaged by an oversized lorry load. The unstaffed station has a ticket machine and waiting shelters on both platforms. 144,724 passengers used the station in 2019-20. We've travelled 18 miles when we reach the next station, the request stop at Greece. It's unstaffed and you can't buy a ticket here, but there are two platforms. The old buildings have been demolished and now there are only standard waiting shelters. The step-free access to both platforms using ramps and the road crossing at the north end. It was used by 6,318 passengers in 2019-20. We travel a further seven miles and reach the unstaffed station at Wem. We're now ten and three quarter miles north of Shrewsbury. There are two platforms and passengers can cross the line using the level crossing at the north end of the station. There's no ticketing facility and apart from shelters on the platforms, no permanent buildings. The station though was used by 102,000 passengers in 2019-20. Another three and a half miles, and we go through the unstaffed request stop at Yorton. If Dr. Beeching had had his way, it would have closed in the 1960s. 
The old buildings are now privately owned. There are shelters on both platforms. And although there is no ticket machine, there is a customer help point on platform one and a payphone on platform two. There is only step-free access to the southbound platform. Passenger numbers here grew by nearly 500 to 7,544 in 2019-20. Next, the site of Hadnell Station, opened in 1858 and closed in 1960. Three miles north of the centre of Shrewsbury, we pass the site of the Battle of Shrewsbury. This was fought on the 21st of July 1403 between the army of Henry IV and a rebel army led by the Northumbrian Henry Harry Hotspur, Percy. The battle was the first in which English archers fought each other on English soil and confirmed the effectiveness of the longbow and ended the Percy challenge to King Henry IV. The Percys had previously supported Henry IV against King Richard II, against the rebellion of Owen Glendower, and also in Scotland. Henry IV had promised land, money and royal favour to his supporters. Land in around Cumberland, previously promised to the Percys, was given to a rival. The promised money didn't materialise, so the Percys revolted. Henry Percy, the first Earl of Northumberland, and Thomas Percy, the first Earl of Worcester, publicly renounced their allegiance to Henry IV. They charged him with perjury, giving the following reasons. The fact that he claimed the throne in addition to his old lands and titles... He taxed the clergy. He imprisoned and murdered Richard II. He didn't allow a free parliamentary election. And he refused to pay a just ransom to Owen Glendower for the hostage Edmund Mortimer. King also held Scottish nobles captured at Homildon Hill as prisoners of war, rather than permitting the Percys to release them for a ransom. Henry Percy raised a force in early July 1403 and started a long march south to meet his uncle Thomas Percy. Although some nobles joined him, he recruited most of his army in Cheshire, an area hostile to Henry IV. Notable in his force were the Cheshire archers, some of whom had served as Richard II's bodyguard. Henry only became aware of the Percy forces on the 12th of July, apparently whilst he was marching an army north to assist the Percys against the Scots. He changed direction, marched west with his army and arrived before the Percys could capture Shrewsbury. Both forces arrived in the area on the 20th of July and camped to the north and south of the River Severn. The battle opened with a massive archery barrage, arrows killing or wounding many men before any hand-to-hand -hand fighting took place. 
that Percy's Cheshire Bowman was superior. Thomas Walsingham recorded how the King's men fell like leaves in autumn, every one, that's arrow, struck a mortal man. The King's right wing, under the command of the Earl of Stafford, who was killed, fled the field. Many more may have fled. There is evidence of looted baggage and after the battle, the Cheshire rebels were prosecuted for taking some 7,000 horses. Prince Henry, Prince of Wales, was hit in the face by an arrow, sustaining a terrible wound which scarred him for the rest of his life. His recovery was due to the skilled treatment of the physician general, John Bradmore, who used honey, alcohol and a specially designed surgical instrument to extract the arrowhead. The King's men remained on the field under the command of the Prince of Wales. Hotspur led a charge aimed at killing the King. The royal standard was overthrown and its bearer hacked down. But Hotspur died in the charge, shot in his face by an arrow when he opened his visor. When the battle ended soon after, many didn't know who had won each side claiming that the other's leader had perished. The king's forces sustained greater losses than the rebels, and Henry IV nearly lost both his life and his throne. Henry Percy was initially buried with honours at Whitchurch, but then rumours spread that he wasn't really dead, so the king had him disinterred, his body salted and set up in Shrewsbury impaled on a spear between two millstones in the marketplace pillory. He was later quartered and put on display in Chester, London, Bristol and Newcastle upon time. His head was sent to York and impaled on the North Gate, looking towards his own lands. In the November, his remains were returned to his widow. The Earl of Worcester was beheaded Sir Richard Venables, Sir Richard Vernon and Sir Henry Boynton were publicly hanged, drawn and quartered in Shrewsbury, and then their heads were publicly displayed. Our train is now breaking and slowing. We've come into an industrial area. On my right, small factory units. And on my left, I think we just passed a cinema. We're now into housing. We've gone across a couple of level crossings. I wonder what the people thought as they saw two wonderful steam engines powering a train across. We're now passing through Shrewsbury Station. Causing quite a stir, lots of cameras out, people looking surprised. The guard of the West Midlands diesel multiple unit leaning out of his cab taking photographs. And now it's over the River Severn and approaching the 180 lever signal box frame.
we are now retracing the route in reverse that we took on Saturday to reach Shrewsbury. We're following the route that we took on Sunday when we went on our mystery tour that ended up going through Birmingham and getting to Crewe. This podcast has been produced by the Mr T Podcast Studio. I thank the passengers and the teams from Steam Dreams and West Coast Railways for making this podcast possible. Join me in a couple of weeks for the next episode. And thank you very much for listening. <laughs>